0: Guys, welcome to episode number 632 of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Before we get started, I wanna thank you guys for your avid support of this podcast. You guys are so loyal. I appreciate you sending me direct messages on Instagram, on my account, at Outdoors and also emails, uh, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. This episode is gonna go back to, I believe, 2014 or 15 where Craig Steele and I talk about aging, field judging, and hunting desert bighorn sheep uh, in the state of Arizona. There's a lot of really good information in this episode, so I thought I would bring it to you again. Uh, Guys, I want to remind you about a couple things going on with the sponsors of this podcast. Uh, Right now, uh, GoHunt.com, the gear shop, has amazing uh, Black Friday sales going on. You can go to gohunt.com, just click on the gear shop and there's amazing uh, prices and deals going on right now. You can also contact Cody Nelson, uh, my friend of 20 plus years. He's the glassing guru, the optics authority. Uh, He is the optics manager at gohunt.com. You can call him uh, if you're interested in buying binoculars, spotting scopes, tripods, range finders. Anything to do with glassing, uh, give him a call at 702-847-8747, that's extension 2, or you can email him directly at optics at gohunt.com. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Kuyu is the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. To find out more information, you can go to KUIU.com, kuyu.com. Uh, they have a great customer service there. You can also call them on the, on the phone if you have any questions about their gear. It's a direct-to-consumer uh, company, so uh, there is no middleman. They're able to put all of that uh, middleman money into their products, and they just make a superior ultralight uh, hunting gear you know all the stuff that we wear on these hunts so check out kuyu.com kui u.com also want to thank phonescope.com use the jscott19 promo code you're going to get a 10% discount and then Xmaps.com. if you use right now they're doing a 30% discount if you use the promo code thanks30 thanks30 um, you'll get an email once you sign up. They'll, they'll ask, where did you hear about us? Um, if you would, just tell them that Jay Scott sent you. Um, it, uh, Onyx Maps, I use it every day in my real estate business, my hunting, my fishing. Uh, absolutely love the app on my phone. It's basically replaced the need for a GPS. So. Uh, Guys, let's get right to this episode. I know you're going to find a lot of really good nuggets of information in here, and uh, best of luck to you guys that are bighorn sheep hunting here in the next couple days. You know, we had a great hunt on the raffle hunt. You and I uh, teamed up on the raffle hunt, and um, Frank Argo was able to uh, harvest uh, the second largest uh, Arizona raffle ram ever harvested. And... um, uh, you know, we had a great team assembled, and, and uh, I want to thank you for helping me with that hunt. And, you know, I wanted this episode, we're going to talk about sheep hunting in Arizona here. Uh, within about a week, uh, the sheep hunts are going to be kicking off. And um, I've had a bunch of uh, email questions and just people wanting me to touch a little bit on scouting for the sheep hunt. Uh, evaluating rams and, uh, the actual sheep hunt itself. So I figured you would be a great person to have, uh, to co-host this episode. And, uh, so let's just dive right into it. Yeah, let's go, man. Um, you know, one of the things you mentioned there about the weather already being cool, uh, I'd like you to touch a little bit on, uh some of the nelson i units and you know you live right there in the unit 15s right in your backyard born and raised there i i've noticed that those sheep tend to move a little bit more on those south facing slopes uh trying to get a little bit more exposure to the sun uh what do you see yeah man it
1: it can get cold up there in in parts though especially with the wind chill um we haven't had a really cold you know, December or first part of that hunt, which is when most people kill um, and scout. Um, so yeah, they they definitely get on those south slopes um, when it gets colder. Um, that that grass, that's what gets the sunshine, and and uh, there's a lot of burn in, in that and um, 15d south and 15d north and 15c south, and it goes actually there's a good burn that happened in 2000. Six. There's also runs all the way up in the 15C north. Um, so that that grass is a really uh, big time main staple of their diet, and some of the browse is gone um, that they used to have in some of those units. So um, when it gets cold like that, those those south slopes um, are, are a big deal, and it can get cold. Everybody thinks because. On the Bullhead City side, that's some. That's one of the hottest places in the world. But uh, I've been up there when it's, you know, eighteen degrees, um, and then with wind chill, it's even colder. So it can big time temperature swings.
0: For sure, you know, I think it's important to point out. Um, I, I think it's one of the most important things when you're drawing a sheep tag and whether it be Arizona or Nevada or wherever California, wherever you're hunting sheep, I think it's important that you figure out what rams have been killed in the unit that you've drawn. I think having realistic expectations as far as size Mm -hmm. is important, but but more importantly, I think it's very important to go back and look at all the data of the bases. Yeah. Because as, as, and we'll talk a little bit about it in this episode about scoring and field judging sheep, bases are everything because that's where you start your circumference measurements. And if, if you are looking at a ram and you know that the biggest ram ever harvested in the unit had 16 inch bases, but if you took, say, the last 10 or 20 rams harvested in the unit and you cut out any rams, say, that are under, you know, five or six years old, take that 7, 8, 9, 10-year-old ram and average out the bases, uh, you never want to look at a ram and give them a higher base average uh, or base measurement than the average. And that that's one of the things that helped me out the most when, when I got my start uh, looking at rams is trying to figure out what the bases are and then once I established kind of an average for that unit, it was a lot easier for me to be more accurate with my field judging.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree too. And I think everybody that's listening that has an interest in this show is probably somebody, let's face it, we don't all get to go on sheep hunts, even as guides every year, let alone as if, if you drew the tag or family or friend drew the tag. So it's 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 really hard to get a baseline and, I was talking to a young kid. His dad has the tag, and um, telling him to go back through the data, just just as if what you said, and, and comparing those base measurements to get get an accurate base because mass is mass is the king on key, on on cheap, and uh, you know it's it's just a it's a critical deal, um, and it, it you don't want to be you don't want to be overjudging the mass on a ram because that that will that will kill you, and it's uh, length you can miss um, a little bit, but uh, the mass will will kill four measurements on each side, so it's a big absolutely. deal. Absolutely,
0: absolutely, and you know, uh, missing, like you said, missing the horn lengths by a little bit is nothing like missing the mass because As important as getting the data and all the information, which is readily available from the Arizona Game and Fish Department, and I would assume from the other uh, game and fish agencies across the West, uh, as important as the bases, I try and get as much information as I can on all the rams. Usually I create an Excel spreadsheet uh, for the unit that I'm hunting, and I try and gather as much information all the way down to you know, first, second, third quarter measurements, length of horns. Then I try and actually gather the photos uh, either from the biologists or from people that I know. And I try and attach uh, all of the measurements and all of the data, age, everything on a picture. And I go in with, a, you know, a, a, a program and just, you know, mock up and put the text actually on the picture. And, um I used to keep a three-ring notebook uh, binder uh, with all the data from every RAM that I could find and all the statistics. Uh, Lately, you know, I keep a lot of that on my iPad and such. But even if, you know, you know the average bases and you can say, hey, Joe Blow's RAM, you know, had 15-inch bases and his first quarters were this, second quarters were this, and third quarters were this, a lot of times a RAM you're looking at will be similar to uh uh something that you've seen in a prior photo and when you're trying to not only estimate the bases but all the way down and trying to estimate each quarter measurement uh, you can say well this third quarter looks real similar to this uh, or, or or what have you and it's amazing how with a little bit of, of research and and kind of data analysis how how good you can be with uh, with your field judging and estimating your, your ram. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's critical. And if you haven't seen,
1: obviously the, the most important thing just with anything else is trial and error. It's being able to see them, you know, take videos and photos and then, you know, see that same ram dead on the ground. You know, if we all had a dart gun and could legally go around and dart sheep all the time and take measurements, we'd all be experts at it and that's why you know guides are critical you know when it comes to that's that's how we kind of make our living with sheep is by field judging accurately or as accurately (coughs) as we can when you go out there kind of and you haven't done it you know uh, at all it's hard it's hard to do and and the number one thing i see with guys is they don't look at enough sheep Um, they go out there and they see the first ram that looks Good. And they're like, man, that one's gotta be good. You know, and then they usually end up killing that RAM. You know, I know in like 15D North, I mean, you could look at a hundred RAMs before you find the RAM that's actually a book RAM. And so it's, it's really critical to, to know what, what that unit produces. Like you said, know, know, know the data, um, and also go out there and do inventory because that year could be a down year for that unit. Um, I was telling this this uh, kid that uh, his dad has a tag is, you know, you you, you can't kill what's not there, you know. Um, and you have a 30-day season on most of these hunts and you can spend, you know, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 days scouting and you may not see everything that's there. But if you see 90% of what's there, um, you know, look at what the top – one or two or three rams are, and then, and then, you know, make your decision based on that. I think a lot of guys just don't go look at enough sheep. You know, they, yeah, they mean, get excited, I
0: think, you know? Yeah, they get excited, and, you know, the, the, the uh, trials of life and the responsibilities of life sometimes get in the way of people wanting to really stick it out. Most sheep hunts are done on the first yeah. day. I would encourage people listening to. Go into it with a long-term mentality that you're going to try and find and harvest the most mature, the oldest, the biggest ram that you can find and and try and get out of that mentality of wanting to be done on the first day. Now, if you've had the fortune of being able to scout 30 or 40 or 50 days and really put in a bunch of time and you've got your ram picked out, I think that that's great. I, I always say, you know, do your yeah. hunting yep. before the actual hunt starts. but. You know, you bring up a great point of taking inventory and as important as knowing the data of all the rams killed in your unit, I think as important is taking inventory and knowing the inventory of what is in the unit. And the example that I use is if, if you know that there is a ram in the unit that is, you know, a big ram, you know, a, a, a giant ram, My question to you as a hunter would be, why in the world would you settle for something that's not that ram? It is a 30 day season. It's the longest season out of, you know, pretty much any animal that we hunt. It's in a great time of year. A lot of times people have, you know, Christmas breaks and there's, there's a lot of time off during Mm -hmm. that period. Uh, but I think knowing the inventory and taking good inventory is, is, hugely important to be a successful uh, sheep hunter and I you know I think it's one of those things that people kind of look at this and I'm not talking down to anybody I'm just talking what I've noticed in general and they approach it kind of like any other hunt you know just like oh, I went out and got my limit of quail today it's like you know you're never going to draw another desert bighorn sheep or a rocky mountain sheep in the state of Arizona again make it count and do not shoot a ram that you do not like and that you're not happy with. Don't, you know, if, if you're, you know, run into a snag and, and you've got things going on at home, that's the reason it's a 30-day season. Go home, take care of whatever you need, and come back fresh. And, you know, if you know that there's a ram in there that you want to kill and you have the ability to kind of monitor the other hunters in there, meaning, you know, If someone kills your big ram and you don't know about it, that would be a bummer to hunt for the entire 30 days. But most of the time, you run into the other hunters in the unit, and I think it's common courtesy to let, when you shoot your ram, let the other hunters know that you've shot and wish the other hunters, you know, best of success, and let them know that the ram that that you shot is, is no longer in the unit. I think that's a common courtesy that sometimes gets forgotten um, but I I think knowing your inventory is hugely important to being successful.
1: Yeah, and you know, and, and if you don't, if you didn't prioritize the time, for whatever reason, to to do the inventory, I think where a lot of guys get in a hurry is on that first, second, third day they see the hunters and they're like, oh, this is a good ram, I need to shoot him. Turns out it's a, a five year old one fifty five ram. And, and, you know, it's their ram, so I'm not going to judge anybody, but on the same token, you know, you just took out a ram that in, in three years could be, you know, a mid 160s or a book ram, and, and you got in a hurry over a once in a lifetime experience. Um, you, you, in my mind, you kind of diminished the experience of the hunt, and you're going to have to put your scout in somewhere. And, and a lot of guys, if you can make it through that, First, second, third, fourth day, you're going to have the entire unit to yourself. And I guarantee you in most of these units, there's a ram that's getting looked over or two or three or four. And yeah. and guys get in such big hurry. And I was talking about this with a, with a client the other day, an elk hunting client, and talking about, you know, we killed a big bull on the first day, but then the guy that killed the smaller bull... He hunted four days and I told him, I said, Ian, man, I said, You got the whole experience and he's like, Man, I loved it. Uh and a sheep hunt is something you can't go back and do. I mean, you can't go back and you know, unless you have forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars to to buy a tag down in Mexico or something, you're never gonna get to do it in your life again. And it's it's something that um I mean, I just hate to see guys taking it for granted because there's people out there that wait 20, 30, 40 years for these. And, and man, I, I, I seen it when I was a kid, guys would do that, you know. And I was like, man, I want to hunt. I want to enjoy this thing, you know. I want to stay out of school, you know. <laughs> I mean, but but I, I think somewhere that all gets lost in the hype of people wanting to kill, you know, they see a good ram, oh, I better kill it, you know, when it's really not a good ram. If you haven't done inventory and this is your DIY hunt and you're going out there and you never sheep hunted before, you probably just killed the wrong ram. You know, yeah, or not, not the, not the ram, not the best ram that you could have took. And when you could have really learned something over, let's say you only have the first five days, hunt the first five days, go home for a week, go back to work, come hunt again. You know, that's why yeah. you have a 30 day season.
0: And, and I think that's why taking photos and video uh comparing your rams and kind of keeping an inventory of your rams and you know with technology today you know i can keep my phone in my pocket and have all of that data Uh of prior and past rams but not only that i can have the videos of rams that i had scouted out if i see a new ram i can instantly be looking at my photos going you know do i think this ram's as big as the one that i've already seen Uh, you know, and, and the technology these days is amazing with, you know, all of the digiscoping devices and, and, you know, with our iPads and our iPhones and, and, uh, you know, the ability to, you know, I do a lot of split screen, uh, photos with, uh, you know, uh, Ram on the left was harvested in 2012. Here's our Ram that we're looking at. Here's the live shots of the Ram in 2012. Here's the, you know, live shots of the subject Ram we're looking at left, right, you know, front on. Uh, I try and get the same angles and put the, you know, left horn, right horn, put them all up on the screen and, and try and, you know, pick them apart and evaluate them the best that I can. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, it's fun to be a sheep hunter these days and it's fun to be a hunter because of the ability to document the hunt. And I think that goes back to taking inventory. I think another important thing to, Do um, I think another important thing, Craig, to do when scouting is to learn how to get around in and out of the country, uh, whether it be by vehicle um, or on foot. And you know, one of the things that helps me a lot is going on Google Earth. I'm big, a big proponent of Google Earth. I'm a big proponent of topo maps. Uh, I use a program called Acme Mapper, um, and I, I love Google Earth, and what I like to do is kind of plan out uh, my day's hike, my day's activity. And part of sheep scouting when I'm going into a new unit is first I like to try and drive every road in the unit if I can, and then as I drive the units, I'm I'm letting my GPS run, i uh, letting my uh, uh, my uh, mapping programs. I've been using Trimble Outdoors. I've used on X maps. Um, but and then when I get home or get back to my camp, I can go over that on a map and it kind of all fits together. And I get where the country where in a lot of these units, it's big, huge country. But once you kind of drive it and drive the roads and then go back and study it on a map, the country kind of seems to shrink up and it starts to make sense and it all starts to fit together. Um, and I would say, you know, use technology uh For your ingress and egress and learning the country, use your technology to your advantage.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm a firm believer in using the GPS with Topo on it and then having a Topo map and then using Google Earth. And, you know, I use the Onyx map system. and, And I tell you, I feel naked without it, even in my backyard and country that I've lived my whole life. I just went predator hunting without it. And, and uh, because my Colorado elk hunter, he had it in his, I'd stuffed it in his pack and he he had to ship it. And I, I felt like an idiot without it. Um, it really, it's, it really, I, I mean, it's tremendous tools, you know, no matter how you do it, but that's what I use. And, and uh, it's, it's tremendous what you, what technology brings as far as, and that can save you time and tell you if there's a canyon or if there may be a spring that you didn't know about or, you know, especially one of the things a lot of people don't think about when it gets windy, you know, um with a GPS and a and a topo on that, plus your you know, or if you have a map topo, but I like I like to run both. So that way I know exactly where I'm at and then I can cross-reference it with my map, whether you run a map program on your iPad or 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 on a laptop or whatever out there. Um, I like to be able to cross-reference it because if it's blowing hard out of the north, you know, 30, 40 miles an hour, those sheep are going to be tucked up in little holes. And and so many people I see do not take advantage of that. It's a sheep hunt. Um, And I want to reiterate, it's a sheep hunt. It's not a deer hunt. You already spent, you know, more than likely at least 10 years to draw. If you're lucky, you're like me and you drew in three years. Um, you're, you know, everybody wants to hang you for it, but you know, it's technology will help you tremendously. And, and, and like you said, driving the roads, um, especially I'm, I'm sure you're, you're, you're like me is when you can do it with the GPS and the topo, you're like, man, I, and you Google earth it. You're like, I know every inch of this just as well as anybody else
0: Yeah, from a few absolutely. days, you know? Absolutely. I mean, technology and and learning how to get around the country is huge. I, I think understanding sheep behavior and understanding, and these are my opinions and my observations, but sheep very rarely stay in one spot for very long. Uh, sheep are often up and down all day. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, when you're sheep scouting, what you want to do is cover a ton of country. Uh, a lot of people that go with me, they don't they asked me, I can't believe you go so fast. And, uh, I, I, you know, I've been a big proponent of big optics, 15 power binoculars, 32 power binoculars, which I use on sheep hunts. But there's also a lot of times when I've got my 10 power EL Swarovskis around my neck and I come up, I quick scan and I'm looking for white butts. Those sheep normally stick out pretty good. You can mm-hmm. find those white butts. You can look for the yellow horn and you can pick those sheep out. And I'm in scan mode. I'm not in my coos deer mode of go up to a point and sit there for three hours or all day and pick it apart. Now, there are big pieces of country sometimes that I can get back with the, you know, the Koa Highlanders and and really spend some time glassing and picking it apart. But in general... I am scanning, I'm moving, and because the sheep are so nomadic and because they very rarely stay in one spot for very long, I have to adapt my uh, style of hunting to a much quicker, a much more scan mode, Uh, and I found that to uh, really help me and find more sheep than my slower approach and more methodical uh, approach uh, what do you think? Yeah, man, I
1: I, I think it's quicker. You know, it, it reminds me a little bit of pronghorn antelope, except for pronghorn antelope seem to have a, a little bit tighter home range than the bucks do, but they're a lot like it as far as they're up and down all day, and you don't know when you're going to glass them up. Um, they're most of the time in pretty visible spots. I know I for me, 100 Mexicana a little bit, you know, scouting 16A and stuff like that, but Most of the time, it's it's Nelson and I, and they they like to be up higher. Usually, Um, I I know talking talking to you. You know, you're one of the few guys that I know that's done tremendously well at both. Um, But uh, you know, they they like to move around, and like you said, you know, they could be there that day and then gone tomorrow. But one of the things with that in mind is um, a sheep. You know, they will move at night, but they tend to not move for the most part at night. So, you know, if you do find a big ram, you will hear people, um, if, if you're new to sheep hunting, talk about bedding a ram. And one thing Jay told me about bedding a ram that, that I really hadn't thought about is when you, and I betted Linda Kelly's ram here a couple of years ago. When you bet a ram, you watch them till it's completely dark. Not, not thirty minutes before the sun goes
0: down or you They tend to make a big move within thirty minutes of, of the sun going down, in my opinion. Yep. Um you've got to watch those Rams and sorry to cut you off, Greg. Oh, no, good stuff. I, you you've got to watch those Rams till you cannot no. see any more and if you do that, more than likely those Rams will be within fifty yards unless you have a full moon, they will be within fifty yards because Sheep oftentimes go up to a rocky crag or up on a cliff face in the last 30 minutes of light to bed down and they like to lay there all night. So I I cringe when people come back and say, I bedded a ram down and, you know, it's an hour before light. And you say, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking that ram's going to move and they're going to move big time. A lot of times they're down lower feeding and then as soon as it starts to get dark, boom, they start moving their way and, you know, they could move a good chunk uh, right there in that last 15 minutes of light. Um, but if, if you're hunting Nelson, I, I think Craig brought up a great point. Uh, one of the transitions that Dar and I had to do when we started hunting Nelson, I is Nelson. I typically are never down low. They're typically always up high. Like when I go to look for Nelson, I, I usually start at the highest peaks and start there and move my way down. When I sit down to glass, I don't glass low, I glass high and come down. When I'm hunting Mexicana in the western deserts of Arizona, it's the opposite. I go to the high peaks and glass down into the Palo Verdes, down on the hills, uh, the, the, the desert floor, and typically find those rams right there kind of at the desert floor where it meets and where it's the, t- the topography starts to go up. And I do see Mexicana rams also bedding up in cliffs and what have you, but Mexicana rams, uh, and I think this is because there's not a lot of lions in the western desert, because there's not a lot of water, uh, they're not quite as uh, shy and and wary as, say, a Nelson I would be, and that's just my observation. It may not be uh, a fact, but it's just what I've observed. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I just, I thought that was very unique from not hunting a lot of Mexicana. I thought that was, but you always see pictures, you know, anybody that has video and pictures that you watch, you just, you see them, they're semi-flat areas and Nelson Nelsonites and are usually way up high. And even if there's one mountain, sure enough, I mean, they may cut across the flat, but sure enough, they're going to end up on top of that mountain, you know, it's yeah. for, even if it's a little hill, you know.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, Craig, I wanted to touch base on aging rams for the listeners out there. And, and there's two things. Um, basically, I'm using body characteristics and counting rings in order to age rams. And I recently wrote an article for GoHunt.com, and I figured I would read this and uh, then let you comment on it. Uh, Bighorn sheep rams start growing their horns at birth and continue to grow their horns throughout their lifespan. Their horns are made of keratin, which is the same material as fingernails and hooves, and is a very fast growing substance. Uh, bighorn ram's horns grow until the animal dies. The core beneath the hard sheath has blood running through it. Bighorn ram's, uh, horns typically grow a bit, uh, quite a bit until the ram gets old and fully mature. Then the growth of the horn starts to slow down quite a bit, which I see around eight years old. As the ram becomes fully mature and the horn grows more in the mass department and becomes thicker. As the bighorn rams age and go through the summer and winter, a growth ring is created. Each year that goes by is reflected in a ram's horn and is often referred to as growth rings or annuli rings. The ring is often created when the animal is under stress, mostly caused by rutting or mating rituals in which they are not thinking about feeding and maintaining their nutrition but only trying to breed the opposite sex. For desert bighorns, the ring is created in the summer and for Rocky Mountain bighorn, the ring is created in the winter which directly corresponds with the respective mating season. The first part of a horn that a ram grows is called a lamb tip and that usually gets broomed off as the ram's life continues. Brooming is when a ram rubs, wears, or knocks off his horn, usually from eating, fighting, and rubbing their horns. Counting rings is the best way to age a bighorn ram. The most most important thing to find when aging a bighorn ram is the four-year ring. This is the most predominant dark and discolored ring. Four years old is said to be when bighorn rams have matured enough to start effectively mating, thus creating the first major stress on their body, thus creating a deep, discolored dark uh, ring. Um, The way to age bighorn sheep is to look for growth rings and the main thing I try to do is look for the four-year ring and then count the rings towards the skull from there. Once you get to be able to quickly identify the four-year ring, it will make aging rams much easier notice that most of the time the growth throughout the horns will be spaced differently which oftentimes reflects the quality of nutrition the animal experienced during that during his life also as a bighorn ram gets up to eight years old the ring gaps become smaller and smaller most of the time the rams continue filling out their thickness and mass but don't grow much longer as time goes on and then i have a couple things to note here the four-year ring is almost always two rings that are about a half-inch apart, appearing like one ring. Look for the four-year ring to be just about at the ear line, and that is probably an eight-year-old plus ram. If the four-year ring is above the ear, it's probably less than eight years old. The first distinct ring that you can see is usually the three-year ring, and it will not be as dark and discolored as the four-year ring. If you cannot see a distinct four-year ring, it is probably not four years old. Oftentimes, you'll need to be within 300 yards to count rings effectively. Uh, look for body features of maturity when trying to age rams as well. Uh, body features such as broomed horns, scarred noses, and beat-up faces, pot belly, suede back, big shoulders, and narrow hips, heavy mass throughout the horn. It is important to note that most biologists and many sheep hunters use classification system to categorize big rams that classification is broken into four classes class one to two or excuse me class one is a two year old ram class two is a three to five year old ram class three is a six to eight year old ram and class four is a nine plus year old ram i i thought that would be important to bring that up when talking about aging as as i felt like that pretty well covered most of the subject there of aging rams
1: yeah no i i think another one other thing that uh, you know, the face color, a lot of old, old rams will be pretty gray in the face. Um, at least in these Nelson eyes. But, uh, yeah, no, man. It's, and, it sounded good. Uh, don't, doesn't the game and fish in Arizona, um, don't they now with their classification when they do their helicopter surveys, don't they kind of, uh, just call them by size because it's such a quick look? Um,
0: yeah, I mean, they, from the survey data that I always get, they typically classify them, you know, class one, two, three, four. And, you know, they could have a class three RAM that they're flying that could be a hundred and, you know, 75 inch RAM. They also classify, you know, a class three RAM that could be a hundred and fifty inch RAM. Yeah. You know, so they don't necessarily uh, classify them by size, but more by age. And, uh, you know, one thing to mention when talking about aging rams is i think it's really important and it's been a you know the sheep hunter's mantra for a long time to try and harvest older age class rams mm-hmm. and you know you don't see it as much in deer and elk uh, as you do in sheep but you know sheep is a once in a lifetime thing uh, sheep numbers are are limited compared to a lot of the other animals and i would urge the hunters out there listening to If anything, regardless of size, uh, try and harvest, you know, older age class rams. I would say, you know, really try and go for, you know, seven and above, Um, you know, definitely eight, nine, 10, 11-year-old rams, old warrior Mm -hmm. rams. That's awesome. And I think what it does is it leaves those younger rams for the next generation and the hunters next year and what have you uh, to be able to... Harvest mature rams as well.
1: Absolutely. A a 10 year old. My dad killed a ram that was 13 years old. Um, and it was 163. Um, kind of, kind of like that ram we filmed on the, on the raffle hunt, but just a little bigger than that. Um, but, uh, that's a tremendous trophy. Um, and, and, and it allows those, you know, rams that are six years old and six and a half and younger to, to try to reach their full potential. Some will, Depending on the unit, some will only be 150 all their lives at the biggest, and some will be able to get over 180, you know. But you, yep. you never know if you shoot them at three and a half and four and a half years old.
0: Yeah, I mean, for sure, try and shoot those older, mature Rams. I want to touch a little bit on field judging, and I, I think it's important to, before we touch on field judging, let's talk a little bit about scoring and how to score a Ram for those out there that don't know. You basically get four mass measurements per side, per horn. So there's eight mass measurements total. And then you all you do is add up your horn length. One tip that I will give is that most of the time with a Boone and Crockett ram, and if I'm talking desert, uh, desert uh, bighorn sheep, to be Boone and Crockett, you have to score 168 inches. Most 168-inch rams will have at least a hundred inches of mass so when you've looked at a bunch of rams and you're looking at a caliber of ram that's you know a book type ram if you use a 100 inches as your uh, calibration number And then all you have to do then is try and estimate the length of the horn. And for this example, let's say that the left horn you figured is 36 inches and the right horn is 37 inches. You add those two together, you've got 73. You take the number of 100 and you've got 173 inch ramp. That is a way to just generalize and get in the ballpark. Uh, it is, it is not a, a tried and true. It's not, you know, take it to the bank, but it's a, it's a good rule of thumb. When, when talking about scoring, you've got your base measurement, your first quarter measurement, your second quarter measurement, and your third quarter measurement. So you've got actually four measurements, mass measurements per side, and that's the circumference around the horn. And, uh, What you need to do to determine where you take those circumferences is you need to take the longest horn. In the longest horn, let's just say, for instance, in our example, let's say our longest horn is 36 inches. You divide that by four, which gives you 9, 18, and 27. That gives you the exact place where you measure your circumference. Does that make sense, Greg? Did I clear on that? So even if your short horn is 34 inches, you still use the longest horn. You divide that by four, and that's where on both horns you take your circumference measurements. One thing to note about the base measurements is that you have to measure the lowest part on the base all on horn. So your, your, qu- your quarter-inch steel tape has to all be on horn, and it has to be a perfect cylinder as well as all the other circumference measurements at the designated 9-inch, 18-inch, and 27-inch mark. You have to have a perfect cylinder, and you know you kind of pull the tape snug. And you get four per side, so eight mass measurements total. And the only deductions for, for bighorn sheep, and this applies for California bighorn, Rocky Mountain bighorn, Doll sheep, uh, you know, uh, doll and stone as the thin horn sheep. Uh, uh, you you only take deductions from the symmetry of the circumference. So if one base was 15 and the other base was 15 and a quarter then you would have a quarter-inch deduction there. And if your first circumference, your first quarter, was, say, 14 and the other side was 13 and 3 eighths, you would have a 5 8 inch deduction there when you're determining net score. You don't. If you have a 36 and a 34 inch horn, you don't have a minus two for the horn length. There is no deduction for, for symmetry of horn from each side. Does that make sense?
1: Yep. And there's no spread credits in your score either.
0: Yeah, spread is something that is designated on the Boone and Crockett uh, score sheet, uh, but it's for uh, classification only, and it's it's uh, it's not something that gets added into your score at all. Um I, I think going back now that we've talked about scoring, if you're talking about field judging, I think we go back to something you talked about earlier, Craig, and that's taking inventory. And I think that's goes back to the first part of uh knowing the previous Rams killed in the unit and the bases. Yeah. We've talked about scoring and mass is over sixty percent of your score. Uh, it, so in my example from before, 100 inches of mass and 73 inches of horn, uh, mass is more important than length. But I, I will say, first and foremost, you want the biggest base ram you can find. So you want to look for a ram, when you look at it, you want to think his bases look big. And then you want to look all the way down the horn and if he gets real wispy out at the end, that's something that should show up a red uh, throw up a red flag. You want it to maintain as much mass throughout the horn as you possibly can. When
1: you look when you look at his base, and I'm just playing, you know, dumb here, are you looking for um, when you say big, um, that's only probably done because you want it to look puffy. Puffy your inventory. You want are you it looking to... at
0: gap space, height off the head? You know, I I think those are both great things. I think people, you can get in trouble with gap space between the horns. And what Craig's talking about is if you're looking dead, if the sheep is looking dead at you and the two horns on the inside part look like they're real close together, that can be at times a good indication that you have a big based ram, but that's not always the case. So that's one indicator that is important. But I think... My favorite view to estimate and to judge a ram, first off, is I want the ram to look at me head on. I want to be looking at him dead head on, and what I'm looking for is how high off of his head. Do, do the horns go flat off his head, or do they go up and back? Because obviously you want a ram with the longer horn, you want it to go up and back and have a big depth of curl. If when he turns to the side, if you notice that it's flat off his head, so it doesn't go up and then back and out, it just goes flat and then it quickly is a tight curl. You got to watch that horn length. You're going to have short horns. Some of the longest horns are some that go up when you're looking head on, go up out of his head, then go back and then go down and then come up. So. When you're looking at them head-on, you want to be able to put a broomstick underneath their horns and have the drop of that horn below their chin, you want air, you want space to be in there. Now, one thing I will say about that drop is it can be deceiving sometimes because you can have a low-dropping ram, and I'm talking about the bottom of the horns, below the jaw. You just have to watch that it's not a real flat-off-of-his-head ram. If it goes up back down and then drops real low and then comes back up that is a ram that probably has good length of horn
1: good explanation awesome is is that clear Yeah. no that was huge because
0: and i I, I, a lot of people talk a lot of people talk about drop but they don't talk about how they come off the head yeah you want it i mean when they when they turn to the side the thing i look at is does the horn go up and then back and then down because you want to have that whole depth. If it just goes flat, kind of straight back, kind of like a flat top, it just kind of goes back, your your horn is not going to be as long. Even if you have good drop, you've got a good look, but you might not necessarily have uh, a a long horn like you thought you did. And I will say of all the biggest rams – that I've ever been around, the big ones, they always look big. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you say that about elk, you say that about mule deer, and when you see a big ram and, I you know, when you see a, you know, 175 or better ram talking desert, in my mind, that's getting pretty big. They look big. That's, and when they get, you know, 185, yeah. they look big, big. That's
1: going back to inventory, looking at sheep and experience and knowing What's not big and then seeing something that is big. Um, one, one thing I wanted to just pick your brain on, um, and just because I know when we look, when we looked at Frank's ram that I was worried about until, until he came next to that old ram was body size because I've been burned on it with other animals, um, both ways, both under judging and over judging animals. Um, and, and one of the things I just want to touch on is, um, with sheep, uh, the one reason I think pronghorn antelope outside of mountain goat in North America are the hardest animal to field judge is sheep a lot of times will, especially if you look at them during, you know, during the earlier months, they'll get in with other rams and it's a perfect time to go, okay, that ram has a dwarf body or okay, man, that ram doesn't look as big, but he's got to be 50 pounds bigger than that other ram. In your experience, because I know you've looked at a lot more rams, um, and especially from the Mexicana subspecies, what what, what does body size do to you, and, and how do you go about combating that?
0: I think body size is everything. I mean, I've I've seen rams that are standing by themselves, and I'm oohing and on over this ram, and he walks into a herd of sheep, whether it be ewes and rams, or even ewes or just rams, and all of a sudden, all those characteristics and all that oohing and on that you're doing goes away when you see him walk up to another ram that you can clearly look at. It's a five or six year old ram, and their body size is the same. When you see that red flag should be shooting off no matter what, how good looking their horn is and how much it drops down and how much it comes up and he's lip curling, you've got to judge sheep on body size. One of the biggest fears is when a ram and, you know, Frank's ram was by himself uh when, when Frank and I showed up, you and Seth had gotten to see him with another ram. But the worst case scenario is you see a ram all by himself. Mm-hmm. That's my biggest fear is not having a ram that I'm trying to judge with other sheep. So you want to be looking at the width of his nose. You want to look at the eye sockets. You want to be looking at his belly. You want to be looking, a lot of times I look at the height. If, if if two rams are standing side by side and a young six-year-old ram is, you know, two inches, three inches taller on the top of his back, immediately I realize that I'm dealing with a small-bodied ram that's horns look big because his body is small. Uh, body size, in my mind, is paramount. You have to be able to c- compare body sizes before you pull the trigger. If you pull the trigger on a ram that's standing by himself, you are asking for trouble because I have seen rams that look incredible by themselves, but when you get them in a herd of sheep, they become just another ram that's got a pretty horn configuration. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, I can't stress it enough. And the other thing I want to point out here is I don't want to come across as someone that knows everything. I have learned through trial and error, ups and downs, mistakes. I've made every mistake under the sun. And one of the reasons that I'm so particular about field judging in all the animals that I hunt is because I've been burned. I've burned myself. I've talked myself into things that I shouldn't have, and I'm old enough now to realize that I've made a lot of mistakes. And the more particular and more precise that I can be, it just makes me, in my mind, a better judge. And so I don't want anybody to sit here and think that, you know, I don't miss things because I miss things all the time. I will say that I do have the ability to Analyze, and some would say I overanalyze, and some would say I underjudge to a fault, and maybe I do. But a lot of times, when a big, big something steps out, uh, you know, I know it's big because I'm picking it apart. I'm I'm the first guy when a you know a buck steps out and he's got a short G2. I'm looking at the short G2, and I'm not looking at it as you know 32 inches wide and you know big giant buck i'm looking at the weakness i've trained myself to find weaknesses and on a ram body size is a a huge thing that you've got to look at because that can be a weakness uh right off the bat and i think it's the best case scenario is that the ram you want to shoot is sitting with seven other rams and you've been able to watch them feeding you've been able to watch you know He's with three or four other mature rams and three or four young rams. That's the best case scenario. Yep. No, for sure. I just wanted to throw that in there and no, I uh, think, get your I barometer
1: think- on that. Now, as far as body size, talking field judging here, I always tell people, I said I'm not a, and I, and I want your opinion on this. Mexicana's always throw my throw me off because they always look bigger to me because they're tighter and heavier and that's something you look for not necessarily tight but one of the things in my opinion that nelson and i typically l- lack is a lot of rams there's a lot of rams that are broomed off and short but there's also a lot of rams that just you know have 13 and a half inch bases and and they have 34 to 36 inches in length but they don't have the mass um what in in and, and as far as um uh, mexicana what's what's the biggest difference for you um and in, in field judging those two subspecies and and i know some of it there's a lot of guys that love mexicana and that's what they want to shoot um because of the horn configuration and there's some guys that really like the wide flared out but it seems like to me that the nelson i have the most um, diverse horn structure from wide flared out to dropping low then flaring out to tight and curled to it seems like all mexicana have a lot of the same horn structure what's your opinion and what what do you see jay
0: well i mean that's a really in-depth question and i will answer it like this first and foremost i think nelson i are much harder to feel judged than mexicana i know that when dar and i started doing the arizona uh, big game super raffle uh sheep hunts where you're you're you have to hunt the nelson i uh, it took us quite a while to really figure that out because when you add horns that flare out instead of staying tight to their face, uh, you need to see those rams from the front and you need to see them from behind because when you look at a big Nelson Eye ram that flares out, when you look at him from the side, a lot of times you can't see that distance from the base of the horn to the tip. Here's an example. Uh, last year uh, Bob O'Connor's uh, 15D ram that DAR guided for was 31 inches wide tip to tip. And the raffle ram, that was in the general season, the raffle ram, uh, Craig, uh, that, that we just guided for, you and I, uh, that ram was 31 inches tip to tip. Well, when you look at these rams from the side, you cannot see that distance. Well, part of what I was talking about before, when a ram comes high off his head and then he drops down and then he goes back and then he comes back up, when they're also flaring out, that's adding inches of length. So, Nelson and I, in my mind, are a a huge challenge to field judge, and I would say that the wide flaring rams Typically for Nelson, I the ones that are very wide and the ones that tip up. If you start seeing them tip up, you're dealing with a pretty long horn. Um, don't know if that really answers your question. The thing with Mexican that I like to see is I like to see that head-on look and I like to see the bottom of the horn being underneath the jaw and having that drop. Granted. Taking into consideration what I said before about not being flat off their head. If they have good drop and they're not flat off their head, uh, that's something I look for. I also look at where the ear sits in comparison to the horn. There are some rams that flare way out and then there are some rams that are tight curled and their ears are jamming their horns. And I think sometimes it can be deceiving. Sometimes you want a nice air gap or, or ear gap, so to speak, between their horn and their ear because that means that the horn is going out. If Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And if their ears are laying over their horns, sometimes that can be a real heavy ram, but most of the time that's a tight curled ram. So you want to watch that. Now, I will say that Claude Warren's 2013-14 uh, raffle ram. When I first saw him, Claude was not with me. Uh, Fred Ashurst, our friend, was with me, and we videoed that ram. And I was looking at the ram. He was with some ewes, but a lot of times he was by himself. And here I am looking at 185 and 3/8 gross ram. It's the largest ram ever to be shot in the state of Arizona. And I was not goo goo and gaga. I, I I couldn't grasp how the concept of how big his body was because he was not really with any other ramps. He was kind of around them, but a lot of times he was by himself. So in that situation, I was trying to get good video, trying to get good pictures so that I could go back. And that's always kind of my uh, plan is try and get as good of photos, good of video as I can so that I can go back and analyze um, and You know, I laugh at myself today thinking that when I saw Claude's ram the first time, I didn't, you know, I knew he was a good ram and I knew he was a, you know, a really good ram. But I, you know, if I would have thought he was a 185 inch ram, I probably would have had a heart attack on site. You wouldn't have left. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't have left. And and so by the time I got home and started, you know, I I saw him the next morning and then I ended up going home because we weren't even scheduled to hunt for a while. When I started analyzing him, You know, first thing you said when I sent you a text picture, you said 175 inch ram. And I was like, I don't know about that. Well, that goes back to body size. You know, he had a huge body, but I couldn't really tell because he wasn't necessarily standing
1: back. You knew you said he looked huge when you came Well, the
0: second time I saw him, he looked like an absolute giant. And, you know, I think sometimes it takes your eye to kind of, you know, get in the in, you know, into the swing of things and, you know, get with it. Um, it didn't help I don't that that know was that the I,
1: first to going back to inventory, even with as much experience as you have and, you know, I have, is, is you still, year after year, want to go back and look at rams that year because they're still just a memory and they're still just a video. When you actually go out there and look at them and do inventory, and that ram was the, I think it was the first ram you plopped down and seen,
0: Yeah. And how crazy is that? I mean, we go, I I head up to go scout and I go early and it's the first ram that I put my eyes on. And that's another thing. I hadn't been looking at Rams. And so I saw him. We knew he was a good Ram. Yeah. Um, But did we know he was a great Ram? No, because my eye hadn't been looking at Rams lately. You know, I'd been elk hunting and doing all sorts of stuff. And this was early October, and I think it goes to show that you've got to train your eye. I mean, as many rams as I've looked at, every time, you know, I'll, I'll go through periods when I'm turkey hunting, doing other stuff where I'm not looking at rams, and I need to get back in the swing of things, and I need to, you know, eh, you know, look at all the different things with the ram and, and try and get, get my eye back. I think one thing bringing up Claude's ram that I think is important, and I want to go kind of swing it back to field judging, is when you're talking about breaking down the horn, let's use the example of a 36 inch horn. So every nine inches is where you're going to get your mass measurement, your circumference measurement. I like to try and estimate the horn length and then I like to figure out what my, where I'm going to be taking my quarter measurements and make sure that there's not any big holes or cracks in the horn where that measurement's going to be. Claude's ram lost, I want to say, three and a half inches. Not that we weren't going to shoot him, but just for an example, he lost three and a half inches on one mass measurement because it happened to fall in a big crack. So when you're looking at two rams and one ram may have holes in his horn, but they don't fall in the area where the circumference is going to be taken, maybe it's a a way that you want to take the other ram because the circumference measurements are going to fall where it's not in a hole. And if you're trying to shoot, the if they're both eight, you know, say 10 years old and you want to shoot the higher scoring round, you need to shoot the one that the holes are not in where the circumference rings are taken Mm-hmm.
1: yeah that's a that's a huge point especially with older age class rams uh, one of the things that uh you know if you're comparing for score wise if you have two rams you know if you if you start looking at rams that have chips and and you're set on a on a certain score that you need to, you need to account for that and try to, try to guess that as best you can. I mean, you know, that takes a real close look to be able to do that.
0: Um, absolutely. You know, Craig, I think we could sit here and talk about scoring sheep and aging sheep and hunting sheep, uh, you know, for five hours. I think we've had a good episode here and I I will encourage people. If you go to my website, jscottoutdoors.com in the lower right hand column, there's a a field judging sheep icon I want to say there's 20 or 30 uh, kind of tutorials and posts on field judging sheep and I want to encourage you guys to you know take these sheep hunts seriously uh, give it all you've got uh, you know just speaking real fast a couple things that I would watch out for um, Watch out for friends that are telling you that they're going to come on the hunt and then two days before the hunt something comes up and they can't make it. Uh, I've learned don't rely heavily on people because a lot of times they'll let you down and I know a lot of people that end up going on sheep hunts by themselves um, because they've, you know, put trust and faith in a couple friends and and for whatever reason they've let them down because, uh, you know, their schedules or what have you won't let them come on the hunt. The other thing I will tell you is I think it's great to have friends on your hunt, uh, but one thing I would encourage you to do is try and educate your friends that are going with you on the hunt also because I think one of the big detriments is having someone on a hunt that has no idea what they're looking at. You send them off to go glass somewhere and they tell you, I saw a big giant ram. Well, you may be hunting a big ram, and you have to take your efforts and leave that ram and come over and see what they, and spend your time. And I don't want to sound like a complete ogre, but I'm just I've seen it happen over and over where it's important to have people that are helping you be able to tell you exactly what they saw by showing you a photo or video. So yeah. encourage or buy your friends digiscoping devices so that they can at least get you an image of the ram so that you don't waste your time on a ram that you shouldn't even be looking at. Especially yeah if, yeah,
1: if they don't if they don't know what a sheep is, that <laughs> you you got to have it because so many people think a 140 ram is big and
0: yeah, it's it's huge. And and I don't mean to sound, you know, don't have your friends come on the hunt, but but Know what you're getting into and make sure they know what they're getting into when they're coming to try and help on a once in a lifetime hunt. Maybe the thing to do is if, if, you know, teach them how to digiscope and, and I just tell people, look, if you can't get me a photo or video, you know, then you have to just stay on it until I come to you. You can't leave it because it's an important hunt. You only have so much time and you don't need to be chasing rams that are phantom. And, and and not that they mean, you know, the the the, the friend that comes with you means bad because they certainly don't. They want to help as best they can, but they have no idea what they're looking. Yeah, for. and another thing is too with regards to friends, and I think
1: you know, just like you're saying, we're not trying to discourage friends coming on the hunt, but be prepared, and and remember, this is your once in a lifetime opportunity, or it's your son, daughter's, uh, or wife's opportunity to kill this ram. And, and we all want to be there on the day that it's killed or we all want to be the one that helps find that ram and helps. Um, don't, don't let your friends get you in a hurry. Um, yeah. um a lot. Don't
0: let them the, because they have to leave and go home early, talk you into shooting something that you don't want to shoot. Cause it'll be
1: something you can't ever do again. It's, it's, it really is. I mean, we're not even talking about you can get lucky and draw again in Arizona. We're talking, it's over with you know, and it, it's done and and you can't go back um, to, to, to do that. So,
0: yeah, and I, I totally agree with you. And I would also say to the people listening out there that are going to help on sheep hunts this year, be the guy that says, send me wherever you want. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Don't be the guy that says, well, there's not many sheep over there. So can you send me some, be the guy that says, wherever you want me, I'll be there until you tell me to you know, till, till you tell me to stop. Or, and be
1: the, be the guy that says, you know, to your buddy that has the tag, take your time. You know, we don't need to hurry. Let's relax. Be the common voice for him. Remember, he's the one that's waited, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years for this tag. And if you, if you're over there, you know, you need to be that common voice. He's already got things going on in his head that he's afraid that somebody's else going to shoot this ram or he's never going to be able to find this ram. And if it's a borderline ram or a ram that you know that that maybe doesn't need to get shot, and maybe you're a little bit better hunter. Recognize that, and, and be the common voice. Don't try to you know coax them into to shooting that once in a lifetime ram. Um, just be that common voice for them, because it sometimes it can be it can be a lot for you know somebody that's waited that long and you know put so much time and 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 uh, you know thought into a hunt.
0: Absolutely. And uh, Craig, we've had a great episode. Uh, one last thing that I think I want to leave people with is make sure when you pull the trigger on your ram or if I'm talking to the people that are out there that are going to be helping on sheep hunts, make sure that it's the ram that you want to harvest and make sure when uh, all of all of the excitement of the hunt goes on, make sure you know what you're shooting at. Make sure that you calm yourself down and make sure that everything goes smoothly. You don't want to be shooting at a sheep that's, you know, running, trotting, uh, what have you. Accidents can happen. And I think it's very important that, that just like all other animals, but in my mind, more importantly on sheep, this is a once in a lifetime deal. Make sure when you pull the trigger, it's the ram you want to shoot. It's the ram that you you know you've looked it over. You're not making a quick decision, and it's it's your ram that you're going to look up on your wall, and it's your once in a lifetime ram. Awesome. All right, Mr. Craig, I want to thank you for being on, and I uh, want to congratulate you on your success. Thanks, man. Uh, I'm going to
1: go take out my effort or my lack of, of of sheep hunts on on some big bull elk, hopefully. So.
0: Well, good. You've already uh, done awesome this year, and um, like I said, I can't believe you don't have a client, but you know, some years that's the way it goes, and um, I really appreciated having all your expertise uh, on the uh, raffle hunt, and and uh, that was a, a a huge success, and you were a huge part of that, and I just want to thank you for that, and uh, thank you for all the great work that you're doing at Orkhunt.com, and I love your Instagram feeds and and all the stuff you've got going. The Hunt for More video series, uh, I look forward to. I can't wait to see the next episode and um, just want to congratulate you on all your success.
1: Thanks, Jay, and thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it, too.